the voice of Ahl Sunnah wal Jamaah, Marcus Sahaba Online Radio, Business Matters. The voice of Ahl Sunnah wal Jamaah, Marcus Sahaba Online Radio, Business Matters. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome to Mm, the Drive Time Show. Yes, this is Drive Time Show on Business Matters. Mm, now, we're going to have to get a, a, a new intro to this show. It is in the Drive Time, and we are now calling it Business Matters. Well, I don't know if I only want to keep a, a, a business focus on things, you know. Sometimes I think uh, the, the, the softer, smaller things in life are far more important than money and business. I mean, I was, I was lying in bed last night. I was wondering, what is glory? Hmm? We say, glory be to Allah, glory be to God. But what what, what is glory? Hmm? Well, you know, these kind of things, I think, are, it's, it's as important to try and figure out in your head what glory is, as it is important to work out in your head what quantitative easing is. In fact, I think it's more important to kind of like Figure out in your head what glory is. Uh, then I think glory is far more important than quantitative easing. Um, but there we go. You know, um, some people think that quantitative easing is important, and uh, we need to talk about it. We need to talk about it. Oh well, okay. Congratulations on your tasting broadcasting. Yes, you're tuned into Marcus Sahaba Online Radio. This is the Drive Town Show. Business matters with me, your host, Alameen Templeton. Hmm, yes, and, uh, well, we've got, uh, well, it's a, it's, it's a wonderful day to be a white man. Yes, indeed. Yes, there's no doubt about it. Tuesday today, it's a wonderful day to be a white man. And why is that? Well, you see, the European Commission has decided to give itself 
750 billion euros isn't that you know and 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 they've been told that they must uh, they must congratulate themselves for taking such a brave and principled decision now uh it's, it's it is gratifying to an extent i suppose to see that uh, they've gone uh, they're going to borrow this money uh, they're not just like kind of, kind of like creating it you know they're going to borrow it on the money markets using their AAA credit rating Yes, as I say, it is a, a nice day to be a white man, most definitely. Yes, it's, it's, it's amazing, you know, white logic, white logic is, is in actual fact stronger than science. Yes, I'll say it again, white logic is stronger than science. Science and mathematics would tell you that, you know, what has the European Union been doing since the credit crunch in 2008? Well, the European Union has been creating trillions and trillions and trillions of euros and dollars worth of quantitative easing. Basically, its Reserve Bank uh, announces that it's going to be buying government bonds. Uh, the government and the Reserve Bank agree. We're going to increase government debt. Okay? We're going to increase our bonds. But now, you know, if the government just goes and, and, uh, and goes to the open bond market and says... We've got four trillion uh, euros worth of bonds we want to sell to the market. The market's going to say, what are you, nuts? You know, on the open market, there's no way we're going to be able to do that. So instead of going to the open market, they go to their reserve bank. You know, like South Africa has a reserve bank. And they say to the reserve bank, will you buy our, our bonds if we issue, like they've done today, uh, 750 billion uh, euros worth of bonds? Will you buy them up? And the Reserve Bank says, yes, of course we will. Of course we'll buy them up. And then what are you going to do with it? Well, well, we'll sell these bonds to uh, stock exchange companies. Only stock exchange companies. You're not going to go to ordinary people like um, listeners of Marcus Sahaba Online Radio. We're not going to go to them and ask them to buy the money. No, we'll go to the... Um, to the to the companies who, who will buy these bonds, and then the Reserve Bank guarantees that they will buy the bonds back from the companies. So the stock exchange companies go and buy these bonds, and then they sell the bonds back to the Reserve Bank, and then the res- then the uh, stock exchange companies go and buy their own shares, and so their stock prices go up. Mm, yes. Well, you know, what on earth is that all about then? Well, you know, people people then uh, can go and uh, they can buy shares and their shares go up in value and they sell their shares and if they've got money, they can go up and go and spend it in the market. So basically, really what you're doing is you're, 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 you're kind of dispersing, you're, you're using your stock exchange and your reserve bank as a, as a money laundering machine, basically. But because you're white people, uh, you can get away with it and make science. It, it makes sense, you see. Like, like I say, you see, white logic is stronger than science because everyone else will tell you, says, okay, well, fine, you know, like you've, um, you've done like Bob Mugabe did in Zimbabwe. You've printed like a whole lot of money. Uh, but it's amazing. You know, like this white logic doesn't allow the money to become worthless like the Zimbabwean dollar. You know, we all know what happened with the Zimbabwean dollar 10 years. 10 years ago. Um, 
know what in, in free fall it was and all the kind of like uh, currency problems the country continues experiencing. I won't go into the particulars there, but like, you know, you can kind of like see someone comes along and starts printing a whole lot of paper and says that this is money and it's worth something. Yeah, and, uh, and like people aren't going to believe him. Like I didn't believe Bob Mugabe. But white logic comes along and suddenly it does make sense. But what have you done? You've only ensured that the distribution of the money into the, into the general market is disguised through several steps, you know. First, you have these players, the government and the Reserve Bank, agreeing on bonds. And then uh, the Reserve Bank gets together with the, um, with the directors of, of companies on the stock exchange, and uh, the companies on the stock exchange agree to buy the bonds as long as the Reserve Bank buys them all back again. And that means that the, uh, the the companies on the stock exchange are going to have a whole lot of uh, easy money in their hands. And so, uh, you know, they can put it into productive uses, you know, that they, they can increase their productive capacity, they can go buy capital equipment, you know, they can go, go buy machinery and so on. Um, they can bring in new technology, you know, all of these kinds of things They can try and enhance their distribution networks and so on. All of that, however, is like really complicated kind of stuff as to what you're going to do with all of this easy money that's suddenly sloshing about. And of course, if the money just sloshes about, then it's going to start accumulating. You know, you don't want it to accumulate because then it can start devaluing. So basically what you want to do is you want to take this money, you as the director of a stock exchange company, you want to take this money and you want to spend it as soon as possible. And the easiest way to spend the money is then to just go buy your own shares. Now, we know what happens when you get a sudden increase in demand for a specific product. It increases in value. Yeah, so as a result, the stock exchange um, uh, share prices suddenly shoot through the roof and, you know, Wall Street says, well, America's never had it so good. Um, although, you know, it's only Wall Street America that's never had it so good. The rest of America might not be sharing that particular sentiment. However, of course, it does give a vested interest in, uh, in ordinary Americans in supporting this whole fraud. Because it keeps the economy going. Uh, eventually, money does slosh into the general economy, but because it's disguised and because no one really knows how many dollars and euros there are in circulation on any given day, um, well, it's easy to hide away. You see, it's easy. It's easier to hide away because you've um, you've done you've taken the Mugabe option, but you've like uh, synthesized it through several different kind of steps. So you're kind of like hiding the flow. You know, it's it's, it's a bit like um, if you have a garden that's got a strong water source flowing down repeatedly uh, after strong rains. A strong water source comes through over here and then it wears a deep gully through my garden and it, uh, it erodes all the soil. So um, if I can do nothing about the water continuing to pour down onto my garden, you know, the rain is going to fall, the water is going to pour. Then what I do is I go to that single source and I diffuse it, I disperse it. So that uh, it's not just one strong single flow coming through my garden. I, I, I disperse it. I redirect it. So it goes to all different parts of the garden. And suddenly my garden starts benefiting from the rainwater rather than being washed away and leaving me with hard rock. And we know nothing can grow in hard rock other than lichen. And it does have really nice flowers that smell nice and lichen. Anyway. So you see. Um, basically, that's all quantitative easing does. is It, 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 it redirects the flow of money. 
But really, essentially, that money should be devaluing. But because it, uh, it isn't immediately discernible, it doesn't knock on the consciousness of currency traders around the world. So they hide it away a little. And that's all it is. But it's amazing, you know, that kind of white logic. You know, it makes sense to the white nations as long as they're, you know, allowed to get away with it. Uh, and it turns their, their um, own stock exchanges into a sort of money laundering machine. But then what do they do? You know, they come around to our currencies, like the RAND. We have to work for our money here in South Africa, you know. Um, I would say that uh, Jacob Zuma's arguments that we need to have a, a labor valuation for, for currencies is, is, uh, was, uh, was quite a true one. You know, we actually have to work for our money, whereas in Europe you don't. You just get the European Central Bank to issue a whole lot of money, hide the flow between the, um, the, uh, the stock exchange companies and the Reserve Bank and uh, diffuse it into share prices. Then ordinary shareholders can go and sell their shares. And uh, then they made a profit because they were clever uh, investors on the stock exchange rather than beneficiaries of easy money. So those people can go sell their shares and they can go spend the money in the wider economy. So basically what you've done is you've got sort of three steps added into the Mugabe option. But basically they're following the Mugabe option. So you see, it's not actually a white logic. It's just white lies. And it turns out that white lies are stronger than science because the European Union has continued to get away with it ever since 2008. The United States has continued to get away with it. And uh, they have introduced... um, Tens of trillions of dollars worth of quantitative easing into the global economy, and their their uh, currencies have not have not fallen through the floor. Why is that? One of the main reasons is that because ninety percent of all currency transactions happen on Reuters and Bloomberg terminals, and uh, they chat with. Most of the currency dealers, the overwhelming weight of currency trade is happening uh, in the Northern Hemisphere. And America, mainland China, Japan, and Europe, together when they, when they collude uh, together on, on an option. Uh, and when they collude, um, you know, currency traders in emerging markets don't really stand a chance. But what happens when they bring their money and then they exchange it with our money? What's happening here in South Africa? Well, you could say that the South African Johannesburg Stock Exchange is also a big money laundering machine. And the bond markets, too, are huge big money laundering machines because we're exchanging our real money for their fake money. And that is like, uh, just strikes me as being uh, a complete and utter ripoff that uh, is only allowed to continue because, you know, it's, it's... It's because uh, we found our fathers worshipping in the same way, just like uh, the Kufar say in the the Quran, because it's always been done this way, and it suited our purposes, it suited our prejudices, we're nice and comfortable with it, we don't care if it's not based on haq, if it's not based on truth, we don't care if it's a huge big lie, if we're able to get away with it, we will continue. And they will continue getting away with it as long as other countries continue to allow their currencies to be exchanged for this fake money. And as long as countries like South Africa really like, you know, uh, become experts in, the, in, uh, in this international con job, 
then uh, they they really came to love us. The Johannesburg Stock Exchange. Look how we've managed to uh, attract flows into our stock exchange. But you go and have a look at like the Turkey Stock Exchange, Istanbul. Same kind of thing has been happening there too. Go and have a look at Australia. Same kind of thing has been happening there. Share values have shot through the roof. We've seen it again in the aftermath of uh, some of the lockdowns in Europe. The money has started to return into the JSE. JSE is around about 56,000. Uh, to recovering to pre-coronavirus levels. So what has all the worry and shock been all about? You know, well, you know, in between that pump and dump, millions of people have lost their jobs, livelihoods have been destroyed, businesses, uh, businesses, businesses no longer exist. And uh, even now, now even mainstream economists are starting to ask: Is this being done deliberately? Is our economy de- being deliberately sabotaged? Oh, well, you know, like, you know, um, I can't see the government of Tehran in Iran, the Shiites, getting together and cooperating with American capitalists on Wall Street. You know, um, lockdown is lockdown. Even countries that are mortal enemies have been following the same kind of procedures. Hmm? So, you know... um, Conspiracy theories can only go so far in terms of explaining things, and very often they explain very little. They just obscure. But the thing is, how does this continue? And the thing is, we have a stock. Ex- we have a stock exchange. We have a reserve bank. Why don't we do exactly the same thing? Mainstream economists like Dumat Kabule are really starting to ask now, but. But is this being done deliberately? Are we, are, we, are we witnessing an act of national economic sabotage by our own government? Um, it certainly like looks that way in many aspects of the whole thing. Um, or is this just, um, you know, idiot logic sort of uh, being allowed to continue its track uh, unrestrained in any way whatsoever? Today on the JSE, the all share index is on 56,752. It's up 8.7%. The rand is stronger against major uh, currencies 16.50 to the dollar, 20.96 to the British pound, and 18.89 to the euro. And gold is shooting the lights out. $1,836 will buy you one, one Kruger rand, an ounce of gold. is the cost today. And the gold miners, again, are shooting the lights out. Um, Well, no, that was was yesterday's story. But nevertheless, it it isn't just a little blip. It's not just a one-day wonder. The... um, The... uh, the, the, the gold miners' performance yesterday, the gold price continues uh, supporting uh, that trend. And it looks as though for once the gold bulls may be right. You know, you only have to be right once in a thousand years. No, in actual fact, they say a broken clock is right twice a day. All right, yeah, so, well, you know, that maybe sums up um, gold bulls for you. Uh, they they are kind of quite fanatical and just uh, go on buy gold, buy gold, buy gold. Uh but this time, they may be right. Well, anyway, under, under the European Union deal, they've agreed, the Union Commission, they've they, they decided to move away from quantitative easing for a while. 
one kind of wonders why they're doing that. Is that because uh, global credulity regarding quantitative easing has now been stretched to breaking points and they've got to find another way to raise money? So anyway, they've gone and they've raised 750 billion euros. Now just consider, you know, say it's 19, just on a rough basis, we'll make it 20 rand, 20 rand to the euro. Otherwise, I'm going to have to go to the calculator. Um, I could do it in my head as well, but um, okay. 750 billion, multiply by two, uh, is uh, 15,500. So... um, a thousand five hundred. Uh, that's point one one point five trillion, one point five trillion. No, ten point five. Um, tens of billion euros. You know, multiply by two. One point five trillion. One point five trillion, and you multiply by ten. Fifteen trillion rands. The European Union has agreed to give itself today. 15 trillion rands minus 750, uh, 14.25 trillion rands. It's the agreed to give itself today. 14.25 trillion rands, the European Union has decided that they're going to give themselves today. They say they're going to borrow the money using its AAA debt rating. Now, of course, you know, European Union uh, ratings agencies, they all like each other. So the rating agencies, they, they respect quantitative easing. And they say it's not just funny money that you um, filtering into the market via five steps instead of one step. You're doing it in five steps, but it's still the same journey. That money needs to devalue. All your companies need to be re-rated and so on, as they would do to South Africa. And, of course, that is the question that we all need to consider. Why can't South Africa do it? You know, Ace Magashule calls for qualitative easing. Okay, he doesn't really understand it. But Ace Magashule can see something. Ace Magashule can see something that, um, like, say, Rake Fanikak, the editor of MoneyWeb, can't see or maybe chooses not to see. And that is, we can also do this ourselves. Of course, many white uh, business editors, they, they like get very alarmed at the concept, at the thought of the ANC getting its hands, of, hands on trillions and trillions of rands and just pumping it out on a regular basis. It just makes nonsense of the whole thing. But it is right. It is. It is. It's absolute nonsense. It is absolute nonsense. And that is precisely the reason why South Africa should be doing quantitative easing. Because if our money is going to be exchanged for worthless euros and dollars, uh, then uh, we need to get onto the same scam ourselves. Because, you know, we're just bailing out America and Europe the whole time. Every time we recognize a currency and we sell uh, shares on the JSE or we sell uh, South African bonds to them, they get rands and we get funny money. Then we filter that money into our economy and, you know, we filter it back out again. So Ace Magashuli is perfectly correct. And he sees things that, you know, the university-educated clevers like uh, uh, Tim Cohen, Justice Malala and so on, they refuse to acknowledge that we've been ripped off. And it's time we started doing some ripping off ourselves. That is why South Africa needs to do quantitative easing. Instead of going with a begging bowl to the World Bank and the IMF, like our 
cowardly president is suggesting we do. We should do quantitative easing. Maybe it's actually time Ace Magashule took over the ANC. I know many people don't um, don't uh, respect him, probably because he is a pansula. Yeah, he's a, he's, a, he's a pansula, but you know, hey, the people have to pande, pande, pande every day. They understand, you know, that the pansula know them better than the president. So maybe it's time we brought uh, Ace Magashule in. Maybe it's time we brought Ace Magashule in. Because if you have to consider the options between going with our begging bowl on our knees, Silver Ramaphosa style, to the IMF and the World Bank, we can extend it, just have a bit of a bling party. You know, come on. It's time to bring some serious jewelry to the South African economic question. Come on. Let's go and spend a lot of money and have some fun. Hmm. Well, anyway, that's the introduction to the show. Uh, we are going to have to uh, cross to the marketplace. La ilaha This program is brought to you by Speco Rice, bringing friends and family together over meals. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Well, 
It's Tuesday afternoon, 10 minutes past four. 15 minutes left uh, for business activity on the JSE today, and it's already on 56,752.40, wiping out all of the losses that the uh, stock exchange has experienced this year. Wouldn't it be easy if we could just wipe away the pain of the lockdown? Hmm? We could just like uh, say, bing, oh, well, there you go. Okay, we go back to our jobs. Uh, businesses continuing as usual. <clears throat> Clients back, uh, distribution uh, networks are all up and running and working, just like they were before. The suppliers are there online and everything. It just as though it never, ever happened. Yes, that's the wonderful thing about uh, stock exchanges and reserve banks and politicians' uh, comfortable offices. Hmm? Let's just pause for a moment. Let's just pause for a moment and consider that not one politician has lost his or her job due to the lockdown. Not one politician around the entire world has lost his or her job as a result of deciding to go into lockdown. President Sir Ramaphosa hasn't lost his job. Nkosa Zanadlamini Zuma has also not lost her job. She is earning nice salary right now. She's not a tobacco seller or something like that. She's not a Shabine queen. Not our uncooperative governance minister. No, no, she's no Shabine queen. Wouldn't catch her dead smoking a cigarette. Mm -hmm. And she hasn't lost her job. Isn't that nice to know? She's a principled woman who hasn't lost her job. She is going to kill this coronavirus. And smokers or smoking... One or the other, smokers are smoking, going to kill you all. Ah, yes. Not one politician has lost his or her job anywhere in the world as a result of the coronavirus. Not one. Not one politician. They say that we are all in this together. Hmm. Well, you know, uh, politicians' salaries and uh, stock exchange losses disappear in the bright morning air. Yes, there's no such thing. 56,752 is where the all-share index is today. And that's thanks to foreign money pouring into the market and distorting values. I wonder where the JSE would be if it hadn't been for the foreign money flowing in. You know, um, uh, we started uh, trying to draw that funny money into the stock exchange uh, before we went into... uh, the uh, the credit crunch back in 2008. We were already, we had single stock futures and all of these things uh, worked out beforehand. Um, we had also uh, raised our interest rates to something I, uh, shocking, uh, around about uh, eight months, 18, 18 months of uh, increases. Half of that is nine. Uh, nine, 9.5%, 1.5% every two months. Okay, so it went up 4.5%. So it went around, around about 11% in, uh, was, our in, was our interest rate, our repo rate uh, in 2008. We, uh, and that had, in actual fact, destroyed our economy. You know, as, uh, as mainstream economists are now starting to argue, is our economy being deliberately destroyed? Let's remember that Tito Mweni has done it before. Yes, when he was the grim repo. The Grim Repo Man. He was the Repo Man. The Grim Repo Man. The head of the Reserve Bank. 
I've said many times that I think it's as um, someone the kidnapped Tito Mboweni and Chris Stoltz got himself one of his big sumo wrestler suits and and uh, got a dark sumo wrestler suit and uh, is now disguising himself as Tito Mboweni and he's maintaining his apartheid uh, reserve banking practices there. You know, that's why he doesn't do our close-up photographs uh, during uh, media sessions. Um the the the, the crystal Titumbaweni um figurine uh in actual fact refuses to allow photographs to come up close because he says they're trying to make me look fat. But in actual fact I think it's so you can see the zip line. Uh, you know, so you know that it's a suit. He's got a sumo wrestler suit and this crystal is still inside there directing South Africa's fortunes. No, seriously, I mean, you know, I know it may sound a little bit woolly haired or something. Hmm? But doesn't it make more sense than the kind of like the economic policies the government is busy rolling out at the moment? As you say, the uh, the the rand is on the front foot today as a result of the funny money pouring into emerging markets. Emerging market currencies all on the front foot today. Um, but uh, let's leave the European Union alone um, and let's have a look at the JSC. Uh, the all-share index uh, erased, as we say, its spectacular drop uh, as a result of the coronavirus. Uh, the all-share index gained as much as 2% today. It's climbed more than 50% from its March 19 low to be 0.6% higher for the year on an intraday basis. South African stocks have outpaced developing nation peers. But we've got a far more efficient uh, money laundering machine. Uh, in the JSE, with the MSCI Emerging Markets Index down 3% for the year, but now we are already 0.6% up for the year. Um, and the Stocks Europe 600 Index is down by about 9%. Uh, Nuspass, a uh, huge big company as it is, contributed most of the rebound. You know, Nuspass goes up and the JSE goes up, basically. Um, uh, and uh, that is after... Uh, increased demand for Tencent Holdings, games, and so on. It's uh, the, one of the biggest companies in China. And uh, Nospass has a 31% stake in it, as uh, thanks to, what is the name of the chief executive? Far sighted chief executive who went across to China in the early 90s. Straight away, push. Went across, to Mnet across to China. Uh, got Mnet decoders in uh, Chinese villages all over the place, and then using these satellite uh, decoders, was able to provide Communist Party messages to every single remote village throughout the entire China. And in reward for that, the Communist Party gave Kurzbecker, that's his name, gave Kurzbecker um, uh, the privilege of being allowed to buy a 31% stake in Tencent. And our spouse hasn't looked back ever since. The gains in the South African benchmark have little to do with confidence in the local economy, and more with a wave of stimulus easy money coming from major global central banks that have spurred investor demand for riskier assets. Major global banks. They should call them just white major banks. Well, I suppose China and Japan are also involved in there. Um, South African Treasury forecasts that gross domestic product will contract 7.2% this year. No. That's the most enormous nine decades in 90 years. Thank you. Ah, you see, ah, white people thought, ah, here comes old Sir Ramaphosa. We can trust him. Mm-hmm. 
The enormous rally has been fueled by hopes of a vaccine, but primarily by global central banks stepping up, providing almost unbelievable stimulus packages. Almost unbelievable. They are unbelievable. In fact, they're beyond credulity. They are beyond credulity. They are lies and false. In fact, it is a massive act of kufr. Uh, almost unbelievable stimulus packages, says Henry Hasselman, a derivative trader at Anchor Private Clients today. He says the banks are believing almost unbelievable stimulus packages and reassuring markets that they're here to provide liquidity. We will continue printing funny money for as long as the emerging market countries continue accepting it as real value. An index of South African gold producers has more than doubled this year as bullion closes in on an all-time high set in 2011. Investors have piled into gold at a time of deeply negative real interest rates and geopolitical risks. The recovery in the South African market has largely been driven by heavyweight industrial and resources shares, according to Hasselman. The search globally for yield as global interest rates are at record lows has filtered into the bond market, but not the South African focus shares, broadly speaking. Well, just be glad that you're not Donald Trump. Just be glad. I am. I'm glad. I wake up every morning and I say, well, I I don't actually, but I am. I I wake up every morning and if you were to ask me, are you glad you're not Donald Trump? I would say yes. I would give, I would not hesitate for a second. I would say yes, yes, yes. I am glad I'm not Donald Trump. For many, 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 many reasons. Um, I'm sure Julius Malema also experiences a similar kind of sense of euphoria that he's not Donald Trump, or maybe he wishes he was, you know, he's got that red tie, he's got that red beret, you know, just like Donald Trump. Um, So in actual fact, I think Julius Malema in actual fact likes Donald Trump. Well, anyway, I'm glad I'm not Donald Trump. I, yeah, it's a guess. I can't really speak for Julius Malema. But I, I must say that on any given day, I will wake up. And if you were to ask me, are you glad today that you are not Donald Trump? I would say most absolutely. Yes, definitely. I'm glad I'm not Donald Trump. Now, there are many reasons to be glad that you're not Donald Trump. Uh, primarily being that you're not a, like an, uh, a grossly overweight, um, limited intelligence, what, racist there's a good reason to be glad that you're not Donald Trump. Another reason to be glad that you're not Donald Trump is that um, Donald Trump yeah, uh, is a multi-billionaire. Um, now, I'm not saying all multi-billionaires are going to go to hell. The overwhelming majority of them, I'm pretty confident, are. But I'm not saying that all billionaires are going to go to hell. Because Allah Ta'ala... Uh, is able to provide. Here, here he has. There have been many, many really deeply pious people who have been very rich in the history of Islam. Uh, but the reason, uh, one of the reasons why, like say today, you'd be glad that you're not Donald Trump is because Donald Trump owns a whole lot of hotels. Uh, we've spoken sometimes on the show about a, a kind of a it's kind of like a theory. It's not a belief that I have. You know, I don't believe it. But it could be that what we are seeing here is a weaning out of the billionaires in the world. You know, uh, the privileged position is only privileged when there are only a few people there. In fact, prime, most of the people who occupy privileged positions believe that there should be uh, room for only one and that they are the one. But nevertheless, you know, um, billionaires being billionaires and elitists being elitists, 
they don't like crowds. They don't like being crowded out, particularly in their own personal space. So when, you know, billionaires look around and there's only 10 in the room, they feel comfortable. But suddenly when, when there's 500 of them getting together, you know, you're starting to feel like an also-ran. There's nothing special about this. It's not as special as it used to be, you know. So now what you've got is the billionaires are starting to take out the billionaires. And I don't mean going out on a date. I mean destroying them, killing them utterly. In the end, there will be only one, you know, like it's some kind of like, what is it, um, show from the 80s about the guy with the sword? I am uh, no, Duncan McLeod of the Clan McLeod, and I have come here with my sword to catch a wee bolt of lightning. You know, chop off everyone's heads. As long as you don't chop off my head, I will live forever. Hmm. Yeah, strange. It's, um, it's not a traditional uh, Highland tale from Scotland. But anyway, that's the same kind of thing. It's the idea of primogeniture, you see. This is something, alhamdulillah, we don't have it in Islam. These Allah Ta'ala has made it clear regarding inheritance rights. But, you know, white people are pretty close to being uh, absolute savages most of the time, particularly their civilization. Um, and, uh, and it's not absolute. I do know a few nice white people. I like to think of myself as being one of them. Uh, and my mom. I like my mom. Um, but anyway... Yes. The billionaires are taking out the billionaires because, you know, that's where the main competition is coming from. And it would seem as though, like, you know, the traditional billionaires, you know, the guys that have been around since the slave trade, the guys that made their money from tobacco, the guys that made their money from sugar, alcohol, uh, are being being taken out. They're yesterday's billionaires. Uh... And now the um, the new billionaires, you know, the guys with the artificial intelligence machines and the the, the, the robots and the, you know, the guys like Elon Musk and uh, you know the guys with the computer companies like Bill Gates and so on. They're, they're the modern billionaires, the billionaires for the new millennium, are taking out the billionaires from the old millennium because they're just like old hat. They're just like so twentieth century. So the billionaires are taking out the billionaires. And one of the ways that the billionaires are taking out the billionaires is by rolling out lockdown. Uh, So now we've got tobacco being banned here in South Africa. The Ruperts are starting to choke at the throat. Um, British American tobacco making no sales over here. And it's all the small little guys that are are making the big bucks. You know, a packet of RG mint scrape before the lockdown costs 15 rand. Today it costs... 65 rand. Now that is a profitable markup. Someone is making a stinking lot of money. And it's not the tobacco billionaires, I can tell you what. Uh, Yeah, so the billionaires in tobacco have been taken out. The billionaires in alcohol have been taken out. And it looks as though the billionaires in the hotel sector have been taken out, which is coming back to why I'm glad today I'm not Donald Trump. And the reading from South Africa makes easy is is nothing easier than anything coming out of the United States or Europe or Britain or, or China or anywhere where someone has decided to open up a hotel or a B&B. It comes as no surprise that Stats SA survey of tourism accommodation between April and May says the number of bed nights sold fell to almost zero. Yeah, zero, nothing, zilch. Tourism has effectively been outlawed since the last week of March because of the global lockdowns all over the world. 
However, the monetary value of lost revenue is astounding. According to the report, income generated by hotels, guest houses, and B&B establishments fell by nearly 99% in the lockdown period. Nearly 3.8 billion rand in revenue was lost in only two months. The report shows that in April, revenue from bed nights sold fell from 1.99 billion a year ago to just 37.9 million. In May, it fell from 1.75 billion uh, last year to 2.8 million this year. It sounds as though, you know what? It's time to have that uh, that honeymoon you've been promising your wife all these years. Mm, imagine what kind of rates you can get out the fancy hotels nowadays. Huh? I wonder how much Sun City... I wonder if Sun City would pay you to stay at the Lost City nowadays. You know, those cabanas and cascades. I, I can never really make out what on what it all meant. Um... And the last time I went to Sun City, it turned rather much into a, into a kind of like a family resort. It used to be like the Sin City for apartheid, you know, because we didn't allow uh, pornography in uh, South Africa because we're decent white people, but we will allow it in uh, the homelands, which is also, also part of our country, but we pretend it isn't. Yeah, well, anyway, you know, it used to be like um, the, 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 the pit of sin in South Africa, Sun City. But now you've got little children running around. You've got, you know, those artificial waves and people trying to surf and those kinds of things. Go and look at the crocodiles and, you know, whack a moly whack the crocodile game machines and that kind of thing. But of course, gambling is still there, but it's no longer as big as it used to be. I wonder how much it would cost to stay at the Lost City tonight. Uh, yeah, so if, if you're thinking about, you know, maybe you've saved up a little of money and you promised your wife that, you know, we, we do need a dream holiday. We're not going to call it a honeymoon. We, we don't do honeymoons. We're Muslim. But really, I've always wanted to treat you to a wonderful holiday. Now I think is the perfect time. And now, 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 now is the strike moment. Hmm? Imagine, I mean, imagine what kind of rates you could get for hotels nowadays. The report shows, okay, um, yeah, that the, 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 the hotels are losing a lot of money. Uh, Stats SA came to the obvious conclusion in its report. It says the COVID pandemic and lockdown regulations have had an extensive impact on economic activity. Measured in nominal terms, total income for the tourism accommodation industry decreased by 98% in May 2020 compared to the year before. Uh, income from accommodation decreased by 80. 98.5%. Okay, so like, you know, those figures are really bad. So, well, what do you do if you've got a little bit of money to throw around? Well, apparently the flavor of the day is gold, gold, gold. Yeah. If you're not going to take your wife on a, on a, on a lovely cheapy holiday, um, you instead decided you're going to be, uh, you know, boring and uh, you want to invest your money. Well, everyone is throwing their money at gold right now. Precious metal miners, and not just gold, they at gold miners. Precious metal miners, once seen as too leveraged and they're taking on too much debt and high risk for the typical investor, raised 2.4 billion rand in secondary equity offerings. Did I say rand? It's dollars. In a secondary equity offerings uh, during the second quarter, issuing new shares. Um, that's the most since 2013, and seven times more than the funds they raised a year earlier. Seven times more than in 2018. Huh? I mean, no, 2019. Suddenly, suddenly, uh, the gold sector is awash with cash. 
With the COVID-19 crisis threatening economies worldwide and gold prices soaring on the heels of monetary and stimulus programs, precious metal companies have become the darlings of the investment community. The sector, which once largely drew the attention of specialist funds, is now attracting a broad base of investors, according to Bloomberg. Uh, says Brian uh, Slusarchuk, Chief Executive Officer of Fossil South Exploration uh, in Australia. All of a sudden, we've seen real interest from generalists. Brian uh, Slusarchuk, typically is Australian name. I think it uh, originates in Ireland. Uh, if this continues, he says, it could be just the start of an incredible bull market for gold equities. The market for gold miners has been dominated by two top giants, Newmont Corporation and Barrick Gold, with investors shying away from many of the others, including Anglo, although Anglo has really uh, become a trimmed-down mining operation, I must say. Uh, Mark Kutifani really turned that company around. That's because either balance sheets had too much leverage, or companies had too few mines and projects to spread out the risk. Many also remember the right times that followed the gold price slump of 2013, and also uh, Anglo isn't much of a gold miner nowadays, especially here in South Africa. I think, I think they've sold all of their gold mines. But junior miners are now starting to benefit. Take the case of American Pacific an exploration gold mining firm with market capitalization of less than $20 million. The company raised $3 million in the second quarter, six times more than it had initially planned. Interest was so big that it had to turn away offers for more, says its chief executive, Warwick Smith. The big boys play first, and then that money trickles down to the smaller companies, exploration companies, he said. The reason that boosted the appeal of gold miners was the very same pushing investors away from companies digging for metals like copper or lithium, which are much more dependent on economic growth. Base and industrial metal firms raised just $34 million in the second quarter. Uh, that's a 40% decrease from the same period a year ago. So ordinary metals, you know, like uh, copper or lead or zinc, you know, they've got industrial applications. They've only managed to raise in uh, in this quarter $34 million. But the gold miners have raised, what is it, $2.4 billion. Yes, $2.4 billion. You know, that's... Uh, uh, really dwarfing uh, the other guys. Battery metals projects are also struggling to lure investors. Clean Tech Holdings, uh, Sunrise Nickel Cobalt Scandium project in Australia is a prime example. The company said in mid-June it wasn't able to commit to a final investment decision on the $1.5 billion project on the pandemic as the pandemic presented challenges for funding. Bankers don't like risk, said Andrew Bowring, a director at American Lithium Corporation, which has an exploration project in Nevada. That means you need a strike of long-term offtake agreements so they have guaranteed production from the mine. Right now, you've got no big buyers. The allure of gold companies comes even as the coronavirus makes mining harder. With higher risk for infections in tight, closed spaces, Barrick last week said it continued to benefit from strong prices even as the pandemic shuts down mines. Investment in the sector is also coming in the form of mergers and acquisitions, M&A activity. Deals heated up in the second quarter with trial transactions valued at $2.8 billion being announced, according to Bank of America. That's nearly double the first three months of the year. With mines being closed and things tightening up, the C-suite are all in the boardroom. And they're talking to other companies about mergers and acquisitions. They're talking to their bankers. They are reaching out to have these conversations and deals are being done. So keep an eye. Keep an eye on the gold sector if you've got a 
yen for profit, I suppose you could say. Interesting to see where that particular little spiral is going to end up. Anyway, we've got to go for some commercial messages from the marketplace. You are listening to Marquez's Sahaba, the voice of Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. 4.39 is the time in Linasia, South Africa. Yes, 4.39 on a lovely Tuesday afternoon. Sun is uh, situated uh, in the sky, slowly starting to approach the horizon, but uh, still quite a while ahead of us before it turns into a brilliant crimson red. The coronavirus pandemic, according to Nick Spalls in Business Day, is the largest social and economic shock in our lifetime. It's amazing how um, economic writers tend to say the obvious. <laughs> yeah, it has fundamentally interrupted everything we do, he says, and worsened problems such as poverty, inequality, and unemployment. The collateral damage of this one virus has been profound and will be with us for the next 10 years, if not longer. And of course, it's completely wrong. Uh, it's the lockdown that has done everything, and it's not the coronavirus that has done it. Though the South African government acted swiftly and decisively to limit the spread of the virus, implementing a nationwide lockdown within seven days is mitigating measures that come at a high cost. Never before, or at least not in the last 50 years, have we seen so much damage in such a short time. This includes damage from the lockdown, uh, at least he recognizes that, the recession and the pandemic itself. But the true scale of job loss and hunger throughout South Africa, he says, is difficult to fathom. Based on the first wave of data from a survey released this week, it is estimated 3 million, 3 million South Africans lost their jobs between February and April with 1.5 million more losing their income through being furloughed, being pushed out, delayed. Job losses were concentrated among women who accounted for 2 million of the 3 million jobs lost. Hmm? Almost half of all survey respondents, 47%, reported they ran out of money to buy food in April. Uh, the surveys in May and June um, asked respondents whether their household had lost their main source of income since the start of the lockdown. A staggering two in five respondents, 40%, reported that they had. Now think about it. Uh, three million people are no longer earning money. That means that around about 15 million people are affected by that. 15 million people are now uh, with less, far less money now than before the lockdown. 15 million people in this country. A staggering two in five respondents, uh, 40%, reported that they had run out of money to buy food in March. This has profound consequences for welfare and hunger. An underappreciated fact is that grant-receiving households also rely heavily on income earned from the labor market, not only income from grants. Gabrielle Wills, uh, in, a, um, in a survey, showed 39% of grant-receiving households reported that income from wages was a main source of income, compared to 70% for non-grant households. If many people lost their jobs, were furloughed or locked out of their income, like informal traders, this helps explain the sharp increase in reported hunger. So how many people lost their income? Um, surveys have shown that in one in three income earners in February did not earn an income in April. Uh, the data further shows there was an 18% decline in employment between February and April 2020. In real numbers, the estimate is that there were 17 million people employed in February, but only 14 million in April. 
In addition to the 3 million people thought to have lost their jobs, another 1.5 million were furloughed. They received no income but reported they had a job to return to. If these numbers are correct, the scale of job loss is unprecedented. The next important question is who are we talking about? Who lost their jobs? Job losses were most severe for those already disadvantaged in the labor market. In other words, it's hitting the poor worst. Those who can least afford it are being hit the hardest. And I just like to repeat that not one politician has lost his job or even one cent of income as a result of the lockdown that they have engineered for our country. The rates of net job loss uh, are much higher than for manual laborers than professionals. Manual laborers, 24% uh, lost their jobs. Professionals, 5%. For those with verbal contracts, uh, 22% lost their jobs. Compared with those with written contracts, 8% lost their jobs. For women, uh, 26% lost their jobs. Men, 11% lost their jobs. Uh, Those with a tertiary education, 10% lost their jobs. Those with matric, 23% lost their jobs or less. Matric or less. Black people were three times more likely to lose their jobs compared to white people, 28% compared to 11%. And those earning less than 3,000 rand a month were eight times more likely to lose their jobs than those earning 24,000 rand a month. Clearly, the collateral damage of the lockdown has been felt disproportionately by the poor, who are also more likely to be in the informal sector, have low earnings and nothing to fall back on. One final trend in this pandemic and its resultant job losses have fallen most heavily on women. As we say, of the three million who have lost their jobs, two million were women. Given what you know about the extent of job losses, it is inevitable that hunger would rise. Nearly half of all respondents, 47%, reported their households ran out of money in April to buy food. Uh, Looking at reported hunger and depth of hunger among respondents, one in five, 22%, indicated that someone in the house had gone hungry in the past week. One in eight reported frequent hunger. Uh, One in 14, perpetual hunger every day or almost every day in the last week. The same questions were repeated specifically about child hunger. One in seven respondents indicated a child had gone hungry because there wasn't enough food. Uh, One in three reported frequent child hunger at least every other day, and one in 25 reported perpetual child hunger. The child is hungry every day. Uh, Every day is not getting enough food to eat. In a set of uh, reports that make for disturbing reading, there's also clear evidence of altruism, sacrifice, and resilience. Uh, This is uh, seen in the practice of shielding, where the adults are going hungry in order to allow their children to feed. Uh, while the employment uh, losses um, uh, are very worrying, the hunger question reflects on the past seven days. Given that the survey was conducted in May and June, and the government grants are topped up from the beginning of May, these hunger fee- uh, figures uh, may be a little bit lower. The severely delayed rollout of a COVID-19 grant and the unemployment insurance fund benefits to those who lost their jobs or incomes reflects the difficulty of rapidly implementing social relief. You know, maybe you shouldn't be doing the lockdown measures until you've got the relief measures worked out as well. Maybe you should go in this like, you know, the two-step thing. This stands in stark contrast with the rapid pace at which the lockdown was implemented. On the one hand, government implemented a hard lockdown swiftly and severely, deploying the army across South Africa, but it took more than two months to provide any form of relief. Two months after at least four million South Africans lost their income, only 117,000 had received some kind of grant from the government. 
clearly the government's ability to prevent um, is far greater than its ability to provide. This lopsided capacity is critical in understanding why hunger has risen to as such unprecedented levels. Knowing what we know now, says Spalls, about the collateral damage of a nationwide lockdown, including who it affects and how it affects them, as well as knowing what we know now about the government's administrative and financial capacities, I suppose maybe we should say incapacities to provide, we should exercise extreme caution before again implementing a nationwide lockdown. Uh, you mean we're going to go and do this again? While we can all acknowledge that the great uncertainty around the pandemic justified the lockdown, at least initially, future mitigation measures such as implementing social distancing will have to be found and pursued with greater vigor. Preventing COVID-19 deaths should be a top priority, but not at any cost, as we've been doing in, in South Africa today. A just transition, you know, all of these kind of things. It's amazing how the ANC forgets about its principles, maybe because it doesn't have principles, it only has interests. Um, individual interests. The pandemic has forced on us the unwelcome realization articulated elsewhere by American writer Anand Giridharadas that your health is as safe as that of the worst insured, worst cared for person in your society. It will be decided by the height of the floor, not by the ceiling. A very good point to make. We know that one of the true measures of a country is whether it can provide basic dignity for all or who live in it. In South Africa, this means enough food to eat, warm, running water in a safe and dignified shelter, and access to essential health care and basic education. Which brings us back to inequality. Three months, in, uh, three months ago, an important analysis of South African tax data showed that the richest 10% of South Africans own 86% of all the wealth. And the richest 1% own more than half of it, 55% of all the wealth. The richest 3,000 individuals alone own more wealth than the poorest 32 million people in the country, the poorest 90%. This is all strongly racialized. White South Africans make up the majority, 60% of the richest 10%. One doesn't have to be a statistician to do the maths. White South Africans own at least half the country's wealth, despite making only up making up only 9% of the population. The pandemic offers a rare opportunity to reflect on the country we have inherited and the country we are building, or maybe breaking down, to recognize in earnest that the pre-pandemic South Africa only worked for a few. We have to agree, or at least accept, that we will need to share more of the wealth and privileges through private acts of generosity and through public forms of distribution, redistribution. Uh, researchers have come to a similar conclusion. To stave off mass chronic hunger, we simply cannot, uh, cannot let up on the support being provided to households. Failure to do so will deepen an emerging humanitarian crisis, hamper economic activity and threaten socio-political stability. All of this will cost money that the state does not have. Either we must find new social compacts and mechanisms uh, to share wealth, income and opportunity, or we'll continue towards a dystopian future with islands of excess sitting precariously on a sea of poverty. The appointment of technical uh, and competent technocrats, uh, ethical technocrats, to lead key initiatives and deliver results is essential. You know, we need a few honest people in government, he's saying, as he's putting in place consequences for non-performing bureaucrats and corrupt politicians. Hmm. I'm going to lose my job after I get myself this uh, 25 billion rand cut of this deal that we're putting together for government. I'm so worried about losing my job. Once I've got this money, they can fire me 20 times over.
says the bureaucrat. Realistic targets with reasonable time frames must be met with success or resignations. Yeah, we've heard that many times before. Boom, 400,000 new houses and apartments within the next two years. That would be a fantastic thing, you know. We, if we just concentrate on housing, the, the, the spin-off effects would be fantastic. You know, because housing requires bricks, it requires metal roofs, it requires wooden trusses, it requires taps, it requires tiles and all kinds of things. And all of that brings in all kinds of other sectors into the market, uh, beneficiation of products and so on. Um, you could, like you, and I think that the ANC could have turned around our economy if it had just focused honestly on providing housing for people. But anyway, uh, why can these things not be done? The government has shown its own moral integrity before, has to show, the government has to show, says uh, Spools, its own moral integrity before it can call on rich South Africans to do likewise. Perhaps most importantly, a competent development state is also necessary for long-term growth. The economy has to start growing and employing large numbers of people. While there has been some tinkering around the edges of the political and economic possibilities available, nothing has so far made inroads into the gross economic inequality that characterizes our society. Now, with a pandemic on our doorstep, a ravaged labor market and a hunger crisis not far behind, where do we turn to? Business as usual is not going to be enough. Uh, like those resilient parents who managed to shield their children from hunger, the path forwards will require altruism and sacrifice. There is no longer room for the fat of corruption or the waste of ineptitude. But similarly, there is no room for those who cannot see the basic dignity inherent in all people. A dignity that is being eroded. I wonder if President Sulrama Pause is able to see that dignity. I have little doubt that this pandemic will be the straw that breaks the camel's back in South Africa. I also have no doubt that the country has the skills and moral conscience to forge a better new path, but that will require decisive clarity of vision above all leadership. President Cyril Ramaphosa knows it. It's time to be bold. Oh dear, we know that Cyril doesn't like being bold. He likes kicking cans. And, uh, you know, we saw Tito Mbwene's, like, you know, you know, it's a coronavirus budget that uh, the can has been kicked again once more down the road. Ah, uh, well. Where are we going to go from here? Hmm. I wonder. It's important, you know. What is the difference between glory, glory and quantitative easing? Why is it important to know about quantitative easing and not glory? Hmm? We say glory to Allah. What does that mean? Glory to Allah. Huh? We don't say glory to the stock exchange. We don't say glory to money. We don't say glory to the lawyers or glory to the economists or the fund managers. We say glory to Allah. What is glory? Hmm? If you watch a soccer match, the one side wins. Its supporters are cheering and jumping up and down. Yeah, 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 we won, we won, we won, we won. They're experiencing glory. They're celebrating glory. Maybe in actual fact the celebration is the glory. Maybe glory is a truth that can attach to a heart. Maybe glory is truth that a heart can believe. You know, there's no doubt in it whatsoever. It's pure truth. Uh, it has been proved, you know, there has been a test, and at the end of it, it has come out and it has proved itself. 
That is glory. Hmm? Something that the heart can believe. Truth that the heart can believe. Truth that the heart attaches itself to. Because hmm? there's an emotion in it too, isn't there? That's a fantastic thing when you experience glory. Hmm? You know, you've worked hard the whole year and then you get your, your test results back. Yes! Wow! Yeah! Ah, da-da! You go do a dance around the, around the yard in front of your post box. Glory. Yeah, there was doubt about your ability to master the subject, and now it has been proven that you can, and you are competent, and we all know. The truth has been proved. Hmm? When it has been proven, you know, people go to war for glory. They seek glory in war. And then they'll risk their lives, their, 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 their treasures, their wealth, their loved ones, their homes, their countries for glory. Huh? Just to feel that momentary sense of, of uh, celebration when you have been proved true. Glory be to Allah, you know. The truth of Allah. Why is it so important for us to say, glory be to Allah? You know, when we go down to Ruku, we say, subhanallah al-azim, subhanallah al-azim, subhanallah al-azim. We go down into Sajjah. Subhana Rabbi Allah. Subhana Rabbi Allah. Subhana Rabbi Allah. Glory be to God. Glory be to God. Hmm? Are we saying not glory to myself? You know, because uh, we all we all have pride in us, unless of course we're a saint. You know, when you've given up pride, you've given up all sin. So, when we, um, when we, uh, when we, uh, we say the pride is not, well, the glory is not for us, the glory is for Allah. We don't want to try and prove ourselves, we want to go out and prove Allah. Huh? Through our actions, that we believe in Allah, and we are f- fulfilling His commandments and following His orders and rules. We give glory to Allah, not to ourselves. I don't put me first, I put Allah first. Allah Akbar, Allah is great. This is also putting Allah first. We put in Him first. You know, there's no good deed without compassion. There's no good deed without compassion. So then why do we go and chase down what is the meaning of quantitative easing? The whole show today has been all about, you know, complicated uh, Economic issues, business, business, business. We want money, we want money, we want money. Are we chasing the glory of money rather than the glory of Allah? It is a sad thing, yeah. You know, and it's, it's necessary for us to look at to look at stock exchanges and all of these kinds of things. But we need to remember that everything comes from Allah. And Allah is in control of all things. And people are able to manipulate uh, currency values and so on. But, uh, you know, the average life expectancy of everyone is zero if you extend uh, the timeline long enough. You know, we're all going to die. We are. We are all going to die. And then we're going to discover on that day how much glory we've given to ourselves and how much glory we've given to Allah. For Allah Ta'ala says that pride is my mantle. Pride is my decoration. 
So don't appear before Lata'al on the day of Kiyama, decorated with pride. I wonder how we would decorate ourselves on those days. Any differences that we believe about ourselves, that is different from who we really were when we were in the womb, is probably going to be an indication of pride, that we've stolen glory for ourselves. Ah, well, to eat, of, to eat too much honey is not good. So for a man to seek his own glory is not glory. Seek the glory of Allah, that is the true glory. That is the true glory. Put Allah Ta'ala first, in front of everything. Glorify Allah Ta'ala. And inshallah, your life will turn out just peachy. Well, we've got to go for um, a quick commercial break, inshallah. You are listening to Merkaz Sahaba, the voice of Ahlul Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Six minutes past five, and yes, we've come to that sad, quiet part of the show where we have to start preparing uh, to, well, bid our farewells. So, what do we make of what's going on in the world today? Hmm, I haven't the faintest, foggiest clue. It's really getting complicated, isn't it? Where are we going to? It is a, it's a frightening and uncertain future that lies ahead of us, if indeed it does lie ahead of us, because, you know, a wise man considers death often and uh, recognizes the truth that, you know, we could all die today. Uh, well, you know, irrespective of uh, what the challenges are that the uncertain future holds, we know that if we hold on to the rope of Allah, we are going to be fine. Keep an eye on the target. Iman in death and Iman in the stages after death. Don't worry about the distractions of this world, but this entire dunya is cursed by Allah. This entire dunya that we worry so much about is cursed by Allah. This dunya is cursed. It will never bring you happiness. It will never bring you joy. Everything in it is going to die. You know, what makes you happy this morning won't make you happy this afternoon. That is the nature of humanity, I'm afraid, and that is the nature of this dunya in which we live. And the truth of all our lives is that we're all going to die, and we shall all be returned to our Creator. Al-Khalik, the Creator. He will take us all back. Al-Muntakim, the one who seeks out vengeance. Allah Ta'ala tells us, yes, Ar-Rahman, Ar-Rahim. Isn't it amazing about the 99 names of Allah, you know? You have to go all the way to um, Al-Khafid, the 23rd name of Allah, to get a negative connotation. Uh, The the, the first 22 names of Allah are all beneficial, good, and reassuring names. Hmm? Yes, Allah Ta'ala's um, vengeance is 2% and His mercy is 98%. Allah Ta'ala wrote the first thing in the Book of Deeds, My anger exceeds my wrath. I mean, my mercy exceeds my wrath. And so it is. We must uh, be dependent on Allah Ta'ala. Many worries as to what kind of government we have, if indeed we have a government in this country, if indeed we're wondering if we still have a country. You know, if the economy is disappearing and all kinds of other things are generally kind of like our characteristic of, you know, 
being a country, um, are starting to disappear. You know, we used to have a workforce that's disappearing very quickly. We used to have an economy that's also kind of like falling off the face of the earth faster than you can say. Uh, someone pushed Humpty Dumpty. Yeah, was Humpty Dumpty pushed? Can't we get a feeling that there's most definitely a knife in his back if Humpty Dumpty is uh, a coronavirus victim? No, no, we've been pushed. We've been pushed. We're all moving into a very, it strikes me as a dark and unpleasant future. May Allah Ta'ala have mercy on our children. May Allah Ta'ala have mercy on the young ones. Because they're the ones, it seems, who are going to have to carry the can for the mess of the preceding generations. Mm. Yeah, how we have failed, how we have failed our children. Huh. You know, as a generation, you know, individually, we've all made our efforts. But collectively, as a generation, this platter that we're passing on to our heirs, doesn't seem to have much on it in the way of nourishment. Mm. Well, the sun is coming towards the horizon. It's time to collect your deeds and to consider them. Time to consider your day and to consider your maker, to consider your own mortality. Oh boy, well, that's not very kind of like a upbeat way to finish your show, I mean. But it's the truth of the matter. You know, Allah Ta'ala is in control. La hawla wa la quwwata illa billah. La mawz wa la manja man la Allah Ta'ala. There's no ability nor deed that comes but from Allah. And He is our refuge. And there's no refuge from Him but in Him. Jazakallah for joining us. I hope you found the show informative. Maybe perhaps every now and then a little bit entertaining. Jazakallah for joining us and make dua that Allah Ta'ala protect you and your loved ones from the evil of this coronavirus and grant us increase in the good. And I make dua that whatever trade and activity you get up to today is profitable. And above all, halal. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.